1: Well, today we are excited to have back some of our mentors and teacher from our parenting
0: years. Yes, Joey and Carla Link are joining us from Iowa. Uh, maybe you don't know people from Iowa, but there are people <laughs> in Iowa to talk about their top five parenting
2: tips and practices. Welcome, guys.
3: Hello there.
2: Glad to be here. Iowa. Pigs corn, and people. Yeah. Maybe we'll pick
1: up some more listeners in Iowa. (laughs) Well, Joey and Carla are the directors of Parenting Made Practical, and they've been working with families. Is it over 30 years or longer than that, y'all?
3: 35 years. We've been in Iowa teaching parenting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, you began as a youth pastor and you saw the changes that young people made did not stick unless their parents changed the way they related to them. So you became a family pastor. Is that is that really true?
3: That's true. In fact, I received a phone call when I was a youth pastor in Southern California. Uh, this church in Iowa actually said, would you consider coming and being a family pastor? And uh, God had already been moving my heart, but the interesting part is I had to pull out a map to find out where Iowa was. So when you <laughs> live in Southern California, you do, but the reason that I was really open to it is because I was so frustrated with seeing Christian kids go to camps and, and events and really working on changing their hearts and lives, and they go back into the same dysfunctional Christian homes and nothing changes. And I realized that it has to start in the home, not in the church.
1: So good. And your wife, Carla, has a degree in social work. You did you bring a lot of that to your parenting as well? My mom has a degree in social work and I always joked that she got it because she knew she's gonna have to raise us.
2: <laughs> I probably did, unknowingly, but I had really, really used it in our ministry with families. Mm. And especially when we get families with needs, <clears throat> you know, with special needs. Not necessarily special needs in terms of like disabilities, but maybe special needs with a you know unruly child or with other things. But I I find myself you know using it. But social work is is a sketchy field because it's subjective, totally subjective. You know, and I tell them that if you're going to see a social worker, you need to know it's only it's her opinion Mm -hmm. on what your situation is. So um, I I really you know, but I have definitely used it and been called upon. For just um, reasons that need situations that need social work.
1: Good. Yeah, Carla has this this quiet voice, and then she drops like some big old fat truth bombs on you, like when you least expect it. <laughs> you think, oh, you know, Joey's the loud one, but like you have yeah. to watch out for Carla because yeah, she's gonna like she's a sleeper. She'll, She'll she's gonna
2: sleeper.
0: give it to you straight. <laughs> Together, are authors of the popular mom's notes presentations, which you and I both used. Oh, my goodness, all throughout our parenting in the early years. And they've written a couple books Why Can't I Get My Kids to Behave? which you, Renee, and your family happen to be on the cover (laughs) of. Yeah, and Taming the Lecture Bug and Getting Your Kids to Think. So, they've been married 45 years, are the parents of three grown children, and they have seven grandchildren.
1: So we're excited to get your wisdom today, guys. And I know that this was a hard, uh, hard, it would be hard for me to pick my top five. So we asked you, because we know you have so much, you have, you have like 44 mom's notes now. Yes. Yeah. Broad and deep knowledge to pick like your top five parenting tips, but that's what we wanted to start with today. Which by the way, you can find them on Instagram at Parenting Made Practical. You can find them on Facebook and they have a website, parentingmadepractical.com, where you can find all their stuff. Right. Check it out. Great resources
0: on there.
3: I just throw in that we also have a podcast called Parenting Made Practical. And we also wrote a book and a video series that we do on temperaments, how temperaments impact you, your spouse and your kids. So just to add a little bit more to that.
1: And we had some listeners um, take that.
3: Webinars. yes
1: you have yes yeah will you guys do that from time to time
3: yes that- we're starting last thursday night it it's a it's a four-week class and it's a, you got four weeks on video and we actually have people in the class where they go through the book with us and we help them take it deeper and it really gives them more insight on dealing with the strengths the weaknesses of their kids so they can really go back and actually train and parent their kids
2: the dates of upcoming classes are on our website and yep. on the registration form, it says, "How did you hear about the class?" And that's where we know they came I mean,
1: from you. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I return to there if you've listened to our temperaments podcast and you thought, "Oh, I missed that." You didn't. They're going to do them again and again. Check mm-hmm. them out on their website. Yeah.
0: So let's go ahead and start off. What's your what's your top one?
3: So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, a situation first, um, and then I'll tell you the number one. We were in. Um, we we're asked to speak in a uh, an event. Several years ago, a 1,000 people. I asked, as we started out, he says, how many of you want to raise your kids the way that you were raised? And from that, okay, Bonnie, I'm going to put you and A on the spot. What percentage of people do you think said, we want to raise our kids the way that we were raised?
0: People in the general population?
1: Oh, I'd say like one in 10. Not many. <laughs> you think? Not many. I'm going to be a little
0: more optimistic. Yeah. I'm going to say 30%.
3: It was ten <laughs> oh, yeah. percent.
2: Oh yeah! I was able to count the hands while Joey was talking. I mean, i was like, Out of a thousand people. That's crazy.
3: It is, and so after uh, after about a half hour, this guy and I are in answer to the questions. He couldn't answer any more questions, but we could, and we kept going on and on and yes. on to yeah. help these people. And so the foundational point that I would say. Now, the number one point I laid down is that parents must have a foundation to parent from, because most parents don't have a foundation. They are coming from something that, okay, what do I feel today? What what new philosophy have I gotten? What new book is out? And Carla, where do most people today get all of their information from in parenting? Well,
2: the internet. And I asked that question when they answered, I say, "Okay, so do you do you when you Google it, do you the the answer that you're looking at? Do you understand who the author is and what their perspective is and what their background is? And are they a Christian? Are they you know, do you do you ever look at that? And they're usually like, well, no. And I said, so you have no idea if you're getting biblical, godly advice. You just you just are getting advice. And they're like, well, how do you do that? And I said, well, you research the author. I said, that's what I do. And I said, so, and I learn the sites that I can trust. And then I don't have to do that. But in the beginning, I, I do do that. Or if I'm looking in an area that I have never looked before. So, um, and they just are staring at me like, well, I'm not going to do that. Which I already know. You know, and I said, well, then you just, you know. <laughs> so hey, so Carla, link everybody
3: because <laughs> you guys see it all the time, don't you? <laughs> you're
2: on your own. that's what I say then you're on your own because that's your choice. you just told me that that is your choice.
3: So I, I like to say that parents like to listen to anyone and everyone instead of the one who created your kids and the one who created you and that would be God. And so you've got to have some kind of a foundation to work from. Uh, there's a pastor who who got involved at, uh, at at a school in the in the PTA sessions, and he went and he was questioning some things and talking to the school board, and, he was, and they were asking him questions, and he was giving them all kinds of answers. In fact, they actually had him speak for oh, almost a half hour, and they said, where do you get your information from? And he said, um, I, I get it all from just one book, and it's just real practical stuff. And he said, what book? And they all got their pins out, and they're going to start writing the name of the book down. And he said, well, here, let me spell it for you. B-I-B-L-E, and they all put their pens down, like, oh, the Bible. But people don't think it's practical. People don't think it has real life answers, but it's amazing when people get into it and start looking at it. And in fact, that's where a lot of where our mom's notes come from. It gives a lot of biblical, practical things. And we designed those to really help people understand the Growing Kids God's Way curriculum from Growing Families. And so it really does give a lot of practical information on how to raise your kids. And if people don't get that, then they've they've got a real problem. They've got to have a foundation to work off of. I I I would also throw out with this, um, too many Christian parents are not doing what they should do. They're actually trusting Christian schools, Sunday schools youth groups, someone else to train their kids instead of them training their kids. Mm. And that's been kind of a heart throb and frustration. And again, that goes back to when I was a youth pastor. You know, these parents at home were not reaffirming and following up with what we were actually teaching.
2: Well, the statistics are um, about 86%, 86% of Christian kids raised in evangelical homes are walking away from their faith between the ages of nineteen and twenty-two. May I ask you why? That's what Christian parents need to think about. That's that's eighty-six percent. If it was seventy-five percent, that'd be you know, one in four. But eighty-six percent? That means if you have four kids, let's say four kids sitting on a couch, you know, and yours are one of them, um, I've got news for you, only one of them is gonna be living a Christian life in their adult years. How do you know it's gonna be yours?
3: And and, and Carla, I'm going to take it just a little bit deeper because you said they're walking away from their faith. I'm going to say they're walking away from their parents' faith yeah. because I'm not even sure they had their own faith. Right. And that goes back to the real question. If moms and dads are actually talking to their kids and finding out if they are believing the Bible, believing what God says, if they have a faith that says, thus saith the Lord. And so do they actually love God? If they love God, then He, God said, and this is the practical part that we'd like to get into. Point two would be, be that children, and this comes right out of Ephesians, or uh, Colossians chapter three, verse 20, it says, children, obey your parents in everything.
2: So I used to say to my kids, and I say, what does Colossians 3, 320 um, say? And they would say, children, need to obey, you know, God in everything. And I said, so what you're doing right now, is that everything? Is that, would that be included under everything? And they're like, Yes. Okay, well, then we need to talk about that. Right. So (laughs) that was one thing I use with my kids all the time was that verse.
3: It it also clarifies it in in Ephesians chapter six, verse one, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I remember growing up in Sunday school and learning that was embedded in there. And it's like, okay, but now Christian parents don't stop. This is what I loved about going to that growing kids class. It's It breaks it down on what obedience is. And we put it in our book, Why Can't I Get My Kids to Be hey? In fact, we actually spend the first four chapters on getting a child. What is obedience and getting a child to obey? What so, isn't obedience? Yes, we do that too. So let's give them to start with. Here's the four characteristics of what an obedient child is. What's the first one? Immediately. Immediately. And what does that mean?
2: It means that when you call their name, you wait for them to answer and come to you immediately. You don't say, you know, Joey, go pick up your toys. You say, Joey, wait, and then wait for them. To I'll see.
3: say, yes, mom.
2: And we added, I'm coming because our kids never got off the couch. And so <laughs> yes, mom, I'm coming. Then <laughs> they would come to you, and then you would give them your instruction or tell them whatever you needed to tell
3: them. The problem is, is that parents don't do the wait part, and they don't get the kids to come. Mm-hmm. Or if they come, they come with a bad attitude. We'll get to that shortly. But they, the immediate part but then when they come it has to be completely and completely is what it's that they come to you look you in the eye
2: and wait for you to speak
3: now why is the eye so looking in the eye so important
2: because if they're not looking in the eye they're not listening to you if they're looking at the ground or they're looking up at you know in the stars or they're looking around or they're you know they're, they're not paying one bit of attention to what you have to say so wait for them to look you in the eye and I just wait waited until they finally got around to it
3: so moms that are listening or dads that are listening, I would just ask, why would you take and give your child an instruction if they are not listening to you? If they, if you look in their eye and you see that they have no desire of doing this, why would you give them a instruction of what you want them to do? You already know they're going to disobey I mean, and it's going to be a problem.
2: But people say it just can't all be right in that little package. And I said, well, let me tell you this. If you call their name in the days and say, what? Or Yeah. What are the chances they're going to do what you're getting ready to ask them to do? Zero. They're, they have no, you know, they have no intention of it. But if they say, "Yes, Mom, I'm coming," that's that's you got you got halfway there. If they come and look you in the eye, you know, and then you give them your, your instruction, they still may not want to do it, and they may you know talk to you about that. But usually, they'll just say, "Yes, Mom," and then they'll go do it. So, um, but you have to. Usually, when I say that, this is like a process to teach them to do this it's not like an automatic thing when you get to that point it really simplifies your parenting
3: and and carla i want to point out too that so many parents will ask them what percentage of obedience does your child have in coming to call your name and they'll give us a really high percentage and then we'll ask so they do that when they least want to come to you like when they want to mm-hmm. finish watching something on show or they're you know playing a game you know or they're on a the tablet or computer it's like they that they, they'll stop right then and come to you immediately? Mm, no, not as much. <laughs> so it obedience is when a child least, least wants to come. Do
2: it. And we say that all the time. Obedience is when they least want to do it and they're still willing to do it. Then you know that you're on your way.
3: Because when you have small kids and you're outside playing by the street and the ball goes into the street, you want to be able to call their name and they will stop immediately and not go after that ball. That is why
0: our pediatrician friend calls the one, two, three magic one, two, splat.
3: (laughs) I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Not me.
0: (laughs) Because if you wait, if you're willing for them to wait to obey until three, they're going to wait.
1: Yeah. And why three? Why not 10? Why Why? not? But I mean, it's.
3: This is the action side of obedience. Now we got to move on to the attitude side of obedience which is verse 2 of ephesians 6 it says honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you you may enjoy long life it all goes back to the attitude of the child that parents allow and so there's two more parts to the whole obedient thing and that carla is what without
2: without challenge and that we just say is when they're angry and they're talking to you and defensively and arrogantly, then that's a challenge to you. And you should never answer a challenge because if you do, you're elevating them
3: above you. So um, just, we just don't answer it. So when you call their name and they say what instead of, yes, mom, I'm coming, that's a challenge to your authority. Mm-hmm. Or you could, in fact, when you call their name and you hear the attitude in their voice of frustration that I don't want to do what you want me to do, you know, and they come to you and they look at you and they've got this, you know, arms are crossed or they're crossing their eyes. They won't look at you because they don't want to. All of that is attitude. Mm -hmm. And so mom and dad, if you don't get obedience, okay, you got a problem. So what's the next piece?
2: And the last one of the four characteristics of obedience is um, that without complaint, and that basically is whining, especially in young children, you know, when they, when they're whining that they're, they're complaining and you need to um, deal with that too.
3: How does this play out? If they don't respect you with their good attitude and honor you, how would they honor a teacher or at school? or at church, or how would they honor a coach? And we have all kinds of kids playing sports that don't respect or honor their coaches. And how are they going to grow up and be a good employee?
2: What Joy is saying is you have to keep the big picture in mind. You know, and whenever I was really super frustrated with one of my children, and have been going through weeks of the same behavior, basically, and thinking, when is this going to end? I remind myself to hang in there because I'm training them, not for today, but I'm training them for five years from now. Or, you know, I'm training them for adulthood. And I want them to learn that you don't get to question authority when you are under them. So therefore, you, unless they ask for your opinion, or you can make an appeal and ask if you can give your opinion, but you just don't get to challenge them. That's-
1: Here's the deal, guys. We I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but we are starting to see this in our parenting classes have that we teach. They have changed drastically. The popu- The parent population has drastically changed. And you're using some dirty words here. They don't like the word authority. They don't like the word obedience. When we ask them their goals for their children while they're in, why are you in this class? That takes a lot of time. It's a lot of weeks. Why are you here? They say things like, yeah, we want them to be successful. We want them to be happy. We want them to learn how to question authority. We want, I'm like, they're born knowing how to do that. (laughs) But this is not even a value um, for a lot of young families. We think, Bonnie and I have talked about this at length. We think authority figures have let them down a lot. A a lot of families we see now, their parents um, are not together. When they were together, they were not good parents. They were not kind, loving parents. They did not um, feel cared for in ways that um, were meaningful to them. And so they have a lot of distrust
0: of authority. And not not just personal, but institutional. Everything in the news, you know, you can't trust politics. You can't trust media. You can't trust the church leaders. You can't trust, I mean, thing after thing after thing. So they want to question that authority to be safe. So what would you say to parents
1: like that?
3: I'm going to go back and ask them again. Do you believe in the B-I-B-L-E? Is that your foundation or what? Again, the the, the problem you have is a foundation to work off of. What do these, what, what foundation are they working from? And I don't think it's the same foundation.
2: And that the the problem that you're having is, is uh, nationwide. Yeah. We're finding it no matter where we are or where we care or whatever. And I think, you know, this generation in particular, for whatever reason, they were raised, I think, by the first generation that lived through everything you just said. And so therefore, their parents had no idea what they were doing. Their parents um, also entered marriage with a well for how long it lasts. Or they, you know, and we're talking about the Christian community here. I'm not talking about the non-Christians. And um, it would, you know, they just didn't have a solid foundation, and they might have been going um, to a church where it was never preached, you know, the Bible was never preached, or the, you know, it just um, there was, there's just so, or the youth groups, Joey can tell you, became entertainment, but well, you know, filled, you know, it was taking care of kids, it wasn't teaching kids, it, yes, all of that. And has really, really diluted. And I think that the other thing that you didn't mention it is the internet. They just Google how do I make my kids obey? How do I get my kids to do this? Or how do I make my you know? And that so they don't need to sit in a class for twenty weeks. You
3: know, they just don't need to do that. Another point I would I would throw out to what you're talking about is, and and we do this in our second uh, session in the temperament class. It's that there's a group of people that live totally off of their feelings. I feel versus facts I feel like my child should get to do this okay then what happens when that how you you want your child to do that infringes upon someone else's feelings and that's the problem they don't have, we don't have we're not working off a common society anymore of there is a right and there's a wrong it working off of well I feel this but they're not allowing those feelings to infringe on someone else But yeah. And and what you guys are the issue you just brought up about these younger families is that they haven't matured yet to where they now have those middle school kids that are yelling at them and disrespecting them. And the teenagers say, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. You got to fix that when you're younger, not when you're older. That's where, again, I was at as a youth pastor. I wanted to work with the parents that have kids and so you can change that. But let me go on to my third point, if I can. So the the first point in would be that parents have to have a foundation. We just went back to that again. And then that the second one is that you really have to, what you need to teach your kids. Well, the first point of teaching it would be children need to obey their parents. We talked about that. But the next one would be that parents need to teach their kids all kinds of things. And so I gave you Ephesians 6.1 and 6.2, but 6 and six three, but six four says this. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And so... This is what happens is that too many parents tend to exasperate their kids because they're exasperated with their kids out of control. And so dads and moms yell, they lecture, they threaten, they repeat their instructions. They're reminding their kids forever to do something. We actually had someone in our class that was reminding their 16-year-old to get up out of bed when the alarm went off three times to go to school. I'm like, come on, at what point is he going to be responsible? I said, who's
2: going to get him out of bed when he's in college? Well, yeah, I, I just don't know. And I said, well, why don't you work on that now?
3: <laughs> and so what parents end up doing is they move into, okay, I'm going to use guilt and manipulation to get them to do what I want them to do. And you know what that does? That does not teach a child to have a good moral conscience, or a moral foundation in their bodies, their lives. And they're going to be working out of guilt. Oh, I got to do this to please my mom. But let me finish that verse in Ephesians 6, 4. It says, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I would say that that is the piece that parents are leaving out. They're not actually teaching their kids how they're supposed to live. And again, as I said before, they're leaving up the church. They're leaving it up to Christian school. And and now we are leaving it up, in, in, even if you're not Christians. If the schools are taking over. The teachers are becoming the moral authority of kids in society. That they We've got to get it back to the parents. And so let me give you a couple of illustrations, okay? First one is that Jesus said to love others just as much as you love yourself. And, well, and how do you do that, well, Carla? Well, we
2: teach others first. And nowadays, you know, when the society is teaching me first, it's it's hard to turn to turn that you know around to others first, and so even in the parenting, you know, because I'm big about saying, I, I actually just wrote a post um, for social media, but it, I actually said you have just defined hypocr- hypocrisy for your kids, your your behavior requiring them to do what you are not doing, you just define what hypocr- hypocrisy looks like, and so others first. You know, we it's just putting teaching them to put others before themselves and teaching them why they should do that and teaching them how important that is, you know, it's it's a huge big deal. That that's a big thing that we think parents need to do.
3: So let let me give a a practical illustration because here's what happens is that you got a couple kids that are playing over a game, they're squabbling over the iPad or whatever it's gonna be, and you know, they're squabbling. And it's like, is that love? No. But what do the parents do? They step in and go like Now, you guys stop it. You guys get along. How is that training? (laughs) See, that's what parents aren't doing is they're not training the kids the way they're supposed to. And again, you go back to that verse. It says, bring them up in the training. Parents are only teaching. They're giving information. They're stopping the squabble. They're stopping the fight. I mean,
2: we just took our four grandkids um, from Chicago to, um, it was eight hours away to another place for four or five days and so um and we got in the car and we told them okay what are grammy and papa's rules you know and one you know was that when we call their name they have to which they have to do at home too and then one was that they had to um stay together in a group and when we were out with people and the other thing was that when they were in the car that they could not fight with each other or provoke each other and they knew that, and we said, "And what will happen if you disobey?" And they said exactly what would happen, which is basically they would lose the freedom of participate in the first activity. They knew that, and they knew it'd be fun because Papa is fun. He's a youth Pastor for crying out loud. He's fun.
3: We had no problem, but that's because we come back on the other side and say, you know, it, it, with the whole, let's go back to the whole iPad thing. If, if you got two kids, three kids that are playing a game on it, or with some kind of a game and are arguing and fighting about something, I'm sorry. You now lost the freedom to play with that because you know that that is not a standard acceptable in our home. And so it's like, no, that's not going to happen. But how many parents are actually going to train that way and reinforce and say what they mean and mean what they say? Let let, let me give you another illustration that is going to go a lot deeper and a lot broader. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Again, we go back to the Bible as a foundation and make it real practical. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Okay, disrespect is going to be unwholesome, okay? But squabbling with siblings is going to be unwholesome. This is going to deal with language, sibling wars, arguing, how kids talk to you as a parent, how kids should respond to their friends. You know, all speech should benefit those. Listen, because the verse goes on and says, but only... What is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is something that does not come natural to kids, and every parent needs to be able to teach and train their kids to do this. In verse 31, it says, Get rid of all. Okay. Now, again, getting rid of is a training process, mom and dad. You have to train your kids to get rid of all of their bitterness, rage, anger brawling, slander, along with every form of malice and how to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ forgave us. Now, like I said, this is really a lot of things to train our kids in.
2: So it, when you use Bible verses and teaching your kids, you, and I realize that the reason
3: and this generation
2: doesn't use the Bibles because they don't know where to look for what they want. I know, that, I realize that. Although you can Google that too. What verse deals with this? What verse deals with this? So I will say that, you know, one of the things that we would do with our kids is I would say, okay, how are you building up when they're provoking? How are you building up your sister? Well, you would think, I said, I know what I think. I want to know how you think. And so um, they would. They would say well I'm not hmm. so can you give me one way that you can build your sister up right this minute oh i suppose you want me to share i said mm-hmm. it's not about me it's about you <laughs> So i would say oh well, let's talk about that again one i'm only asking you for one way just one so they'll come up with one and it may not even be sharing I remember one time one of my daughters said i could be kind in my speech to them while we're playing. (laughs) But I don't have to give them my toy or whatever book or whatever it was. (laughs) You're know, you thinking, oh, I guess that works. But anyway, then I'd ask them if they could go do it right now. And if they couldn't, then they got to sit and um, just sit and do nothing until they did. We're willing to do that. So when you take what's in the verse and you make it, you know, okay, so, you know, what does this look like? What is it if you're going to be forgiving? What does that look like? You know, and we always, when we parented or, Counsel or do anything else, we ask questions. So if you ask them a question, number one, you're going to find out what they think, and so that they have to they have to deal exactly with what's going on.
0: I love all that right. about your mom's notes program or uh, material because um, that's it in a nutshell: is what does this look like? You say that all the time, and that is so practical in there for like go to their website and look mm-hmm. at their resources of the forty four topics. And more often than not, they've got it divided by age. What does this look like for preschoolers? What does this look like for elementary kids? What does this look like in middle school for a variety of topics? It was so, so helpful because in the moment when you're a mom and you've got three, four kids that you're trying to juggle and life is happening, it's really tough to just come up with spur of the moment. If you haven't done this before, okay guys, here's this verse and here's what it means and here's how we're gonna apply it. Carla and Joey have done all that for you mm-hmm. and made
2: it so really, nice. really easy. Thank you.
3: Yeah, thank you. So let me go on to a fourth point. So we've got to have a foundation, and then, you know, we've got to get our kids to obey us, and then we got to teach them. But what happens if they don't accept the teaching? Now we got, how do you get them to accept the teaching? How do you make them deal with it? And this is, this is changing your kids' hearts. We call it the RFR teaching. We've learned it again in in growing kids. It's called uh, repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. And I would say that every time your child violates any of the teaching that you're trying to train your kids in, they have to go through RFR. So let me go through what the RFR is. But again, every time. So every time your child doesn't come, when you call their name, they need to go through RFR. Now, it's kind of like Jonah. Remember Jonah and the big fish or the big whale? You know, <laughs> he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. So he had to go through RFR. Basically, Jonah had to say, I- I'm wrong. I should be doing this. So God, we forgive me and I'll go do what you want me to do. And so in that, the first R is repent. And, and-, and Carla, how do we define repentance here?
2: Well, I learned when I was a kid in child evangel- evangelism fellowship clubs that repentance is turning around and going back the other way. So making a U-turn. So I've always, I've always thought of that when I, you know, when it was my turn to re- repent before the Lord, you know, I always thought that, okay, how can I turn around and go the other way
3: and make, you know, and to do this the right way. So that is, that just really helped me. And so we had our kid, our son doing that when he was about 12, he said, he just, he, he never s- continued repenting. And so we took this a little deeper and I remember we're standing right here in this doorway, right by us. And I, and I said, um, So, Michael, you you need to admit that what you did was wrong. And he said, no, I'm never going to admit that.
2: He goes, well, I'm never wrong. So then we don't have a problem.
3: (laughs) Now we got to the problem, right? I said,
2: well, at least we all now know.
3: (laughs) And so they they can't get it out. They don't want to say they're wrong. But they have, isn't that what Because, see,
2: this is the deal. If I can interrupt you. When you you just say you're sorry, and... Joey and I said, I'm sorry before we heard this teaching, but I don't think we'd ever asked each other to forgive for forgiveness until then, until we heard this teaching. And we've been in church our whole lives. Um, So, you know, this is just so powerful because, you know, I'm sorry. What are they sorry for? It means nothing. I'm sorry. They're done. I'm sorry I got caught. So yeah, basically that is what they mean. So, and then you say, okay, it's fine. Well, it's not fine. So this is where you have to bring it, where they are actually admitting that they are wrong. That's what we learned. So that was
3: the wrong part. It goes back to first John one, nine, if we confess our sins, you know, James even talks about we need to confess our faults one to another, but how often mom and dad, do you actually have your kids actually confess the sin? specifically what they did that was wrong. So
2: let's just say that, you know, our son was coming to us and he would say, you know, I'm sorry that I, I was wrong that I did not take the trash out um, and missed the truck again. Oh, th- th- then we put in there, he had to say why it was wrong because he would just do that part. And then, then we didn't see any change in his behavior. So then he would say it was wrong because I missed the truck again. So the garbage is going to stink up the garage. I mean, he would just go through the whole you know, thing. I say you're right. So, um, and then you know he would say, "Will you forgive me for not taking out the trash?" Which I did. You don't have the freedom not to give them forgiveness. God never says to us, "No," when we ask them. So we don't have the freedom to do that either. So um, I, you know, if they're going to do it again, they're going to do it again, and you start
3: all over again. that That's what you're trying to do. You're trained by they have to confess it, saying they're wrong and specifically what they're wrong for. Ask for forgiveness. And then we move into the whole restoration process. And, and that's where most parents think, oh, this is a hug. Restoration is not a hug. Restoration, a better word would be trust. When do you know you can trust that your child is going to do what they're supposed to do the next time? Not this time, the next time.
2: So we narrowed it down to
3: um, asking a question, you
2: know, how, how are you going to make that right? He would say, I'm going to take out the trash next week. And I said, well, I have no reason to believe that you're going to do that any more than you did today. So how are you going to make that right? Well, I'm going to um, I'm gonna make a note and put it on my door in my room so I see it when I walk out the door. So I remind myself all the time that I'm supposed to do that. OK, that's good. And that didn't work. But, you know, that's another long story.
3: <laughs> and, if, and if they can't give you an answer, then... Then they need to go back and sit in what we <laughs> call isolation. They get to sit
1: until and, they come up with one.
3: <laughs> and, and you guys have been great about talking about the mom's notes. And and there's two specifically that go in depth on this. And that is understanding freedoms, part one and two. They're the first two we did that turned so many people around and helped so many people. There's another one on understanding first time obedience. And all three of those and discipline issues. They they really and we just keep I can keep naming all kinds, but. The understanding freedoms is so helpful in understanding the repentance, forgiveness and restoration process Mm -hmm. that we walk through so much of with my son when he was what he was 13, I think. And one day he, he, Carla made a Saturday morning, he made a chore list for him to do. And he said, I'm not doing this. And we had to walk through this and it wasn't until two o'clock in the afternoon that he actually got done with it. The point is, is am I willing to work through that process to train him so I can have a relationship with my kids when they're adults? Because if they got bad attitudes, again, there's no good relationship going on. Again, I would summarize the RFR. If you can't trust them, if you don't have trust in them, that they're not going to do it right the next time, then you've not completed the training process.
1: I would say that repentance forgiveness and restoration is the thing that clears the air between parents and children um it 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 really is um empowering to ask someone to forgive you you're, you're handing over the power you're right I'm sorry means nothing' you're, I'm sorry means I'm sorry there's nothing and you're right it's not okay usually it's not okay to as a parent to ask my child to forgive me as a child to ask me to forgive them there is this it's the gospel lived out again and again and again and again. And what can I do to make things right? It's such a beautiful question to, to finish that process off. It's so, so, so important. We've talked about it on here before. Mm-hmm. Unforgiveness kills you. It will kill you. It mutates your DNA. People who hold unforgiveness have all kinds of higher levels of illness. Um, it's bad for us. And so you're right. Learning that, that teaching is so, so important. But parents don't want to do it, you guys, to, like till two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday? Really? I just want to go do my thing. <laughs> you know, I want to go to soccer. I want to go to you know yard sales. I want to go. You're saying I got to not do all that?
3: But, but here, here's the cool part with that story, Renee. It's that when he was done, he said, can I go do my chores now? He was ready to do what he was supposed to do in the first place. Now, I want to take this whole scenario back full stream because Jonah, Jonah did not want to do, go preach in Nineveh. And so he, and the only way that rest could be allowed for everyone in the boat. Remember, there was a bunch of other people that Jonah was impacting and he they had to throw him over because Jonah wouldn't jump. So he's now in the water and God brought this big fish to come and swallow him. And that, that's a whole other teaching right there. But he's in that fish. And imagine.
2: Well, I'm I was well, saying, I was teaching some kids and threw them in a pup tip and was bouncing them all around because they're in the ocean, you know. And then I said, okay, how are you going to get out? Well, I don't know. So I taught the rest of the story. And I said, okay, how are you going to get out? You know, and it took them all for the, one of them finally said, ask God to forgive me. Yeah, good, good. You can get out. I'm ready the rest day in, you know, because, you know, I want, I really believe Jonah was still being the belly of the if He hadn't asked for forgiveness.
3: Mm. <laughs> but then he had a heart change and was ready to go do what God wanted him to do. And God worked through that. Even when he had a bad attitude before God could work through him, but it takes us being like God, the patience, love and compassion, seeing the bigger picture for our kids.
2: I'm um, Joey. And I had this thing called the duty. So when we knew that one was going to have to stay behind with a child, you know, we'd say who gets the duty. And then, you know, I'd say you go and do your stuff and I'll stay home
1: and deal with it. So, so you would, you would split and take the others to what they needed to go do. And that's a really helpful tip right there.
0: So, Okay, guys, this is not gentle parenting 2023. (laughs) Are you stifling your Michael's emotions? Are you stifling his mental health? Are are you endangering his truest self by doing all this?
3: No, because you know what? (laughs) He is doing so well as an adult. When he was a young adult, in a very large church, he was asked to be on the elder training team. That's how respected he was because of what he did. He's also been in, he's in business and he has been brought up to a CEO position of a very large company. I'm not going to give out his details, but you know what, what he's doing and what God is doing in him, but it's all because he learned to do that. And and here's the bigger picture. No firstborn wants to admit they're wrong. So, for all the parents out there that are firstborn, you don't want to admit you're wrong, <laughs> okay? Especially but with cleric a cleric temperament. If a firstborn didn't want to admit they're wrong, the second's not going to do it, the third's not going to do it. We're Now we're, we're really struggling the family because a person who's not wrong is not teachable and you can't train a non-teachable mm-hmm. person. So let me give you this. He's doing the same kind of teaching with his own kids. And again, we took four... 12-year-old to, to five-year-olds for five days and had basically no issues with them because we could work through this process and any kids can be successful because this will help them become successful in life
2: but it's not easy and it's not it's a lot of hard work a lot of frustrating days I mean I could pull my hair out many days and pull theirs out whichever came first <laughs> and I you know I, mean, I could just, I mean, and if you read the mom's notes, of course you guys know this, you know, cause I'm very transparent in them. Um, all of the stories I tell about my kids, I don't tell it to after they were, they've won the battle. I don't tell them while they're in the midst of a problem. And then they got to be in their later years of teen years. I asked her permission if I could share their story. But I think that, um, you know, and again, you know, it just, it just is hanging in there on those rough days and you're going to have them and it's not even rough days rough weeks you're going to have them and they're just going to dig their heels in they're just going to sit they think they can wait you out and you've got to say i can go one day longer than they can that's what i always told myself
1: that's all you got to do is one day longer
2: (laughs)
3: carla we're talking all around my 0.5
1: 0.5 bring us home
3: kids need to own what parents teach and are training them in so here's the problem is that kids are not transitioning. It's kind of like I talked about at the beginning is that kids never had the faith of their parents, so they never owned their own faith. And the kids are, are just appeasing the parents in the doing the chores or the responsibilities because they're not owning the character qualities or the responsibilities. And until they actually own it and choose to do it because it's the right thing, you have not gotten ownership in the, for the child.
2: So in other words, Joy was gone and um, it was a Saturday and, and Michael had a friend call and went to him to come play basketball. And he, I knew Joy again was chores and I knew they weren't done. And so, and so I said, um, have you... So he came and he asked if he could go. And I said, well, have you done the chores? And I knew he had a paper due in school and got your paper done yet. And he said, no, I goes, the paper's going to be easy and, um, and I'll get the chores done after I play basketball. And I said, so you'll have them done before your dad gets home. Sure. And I said, I said, well, I'm glad that you think that. So I said, when exactly, how do you think you're going to do them? And we kept talking kind of like that. And then, and then finally he said, mom, he said, I said, I would do it. And I said, well, Michael, why do you think that I don't believe that? He goes, well, there may have been some problems in the past. And I said, well, yes, there have been problems in the past in exactly this area. I said, you need, you know, when when are you going to step up and you be the one who controls when I'm going to do it instead of me being the one controlling it? And he goes, well, I don't know. And I said, well, you need to be thinking about that. And then he looked at me and he goes, well, I need to call Matt back. Can I go? I said, and I don't know where this came from, but I said, I don't know, Michael. Can you? And he goes, Well, mom, just tell me yes or no. And then and then I'll just call Matt. And I said it's your decision. And he was like 15. And he goes, Well, mom, 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 now, now it's just I'm asking you a question. Do I have permission to go? And I said, I don't know. Do you? <laughs> that's when I learned that ownership, that's what I learned what ownership was. And he went to the phone and he called Matt and he goes, I don't have the freedom to go because I have not finished the chores my dad gave me to do today. And I thought, I have not, I don't have the freedom to go. So then we started with, you know, asking our kids, do you have the freedom to, (laughs) you know, I don't know, do you have the freedom to do that? Well, I haven't done this yet and I haven't done this yet. And I said, so do you have the freedom to do that? You know, you can do this with kids, you know, 9, 10, you know, and I and then they're like well and then they go back to that you would think thing again and we go through that and then I'm like so do you have the freedom to do that but if I had given Michael permission not thinking about the chores or wanting him to have a fun time with his friend and Joey got home and found out they weren't done and he didn't get his paper done and didn't get turned into school (laughs) then you know what he would have said mom gave me permission to go that's exactly what he would have said. So that's when I learned. Okay, we got to flip this around, and we got to figure out another way to do this. So that's where we came up with the freedom principle of giving them ownership and transit And really, in the you know nine to eleven you know years, you're, you're starting to transition them into. Um, I don't know. Do you have the freedom to? You know, because you're making them think. Because nobody's going to do that thinking for them when they get out of your house. And I don't think parents think that they're sending this kid out into the adult world and does he have the freedom to, he needs to know that. And he needs to know how to manage his own life and his choices. And you, you can, you can't do it till he's 18 and figure think that he's going to be successful.
3: So Bonnie, Renee, I know you guys have kids and, and they are basically grown now and maybe you can relate to the story, but you know, I had, um, so my son, he was using our car to drive and then he wanted to buy the car. You know, when he drove my car.
2: And it was a car Joey brought from California. <laughs> it was not, a, it was a Jeep. It was not new. It was not, <laughs> it was a small old Toyota
3: Corolla. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, he, 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 he left stuff in it. You know, he went to McDonald's and threw it there on in the, in the passenger side. I mean, he'd leave stuff in all the time. But when he bought it. <laughs> it's a transfer of ownership he was washing it waxing it vacuuming it out that's what we're talking about your kids actually take ownership of every character quality you're trying to teach and train into them all these that i was reading from the bible before from ephesians you know it's like your kids have got to own this because and when they do you will see a behavior change and, and so here would be an illustration It'd be like your child comes along and they have the responsibility of feeding the dog at night, okay? And so, or in, in the morning, and so now they get up late or they got too much going on. They're going to school or they're going out to church. They're going someplace in your home, and they call you back and they say, "I I forgot to feed the dog. Can you do it for me? Because it needs to be done." Versus the child that is we call irresponsible responsible but he's not owning the responsibility really what it is and so he he doesn't call he doesn't care. oh i forgot to do the dog someone else mom will take care of it (laughs) i mean mom owns the the responsibility mom owns the character and so we got to get back to every character quality every responsibility they the kids have to do it and when i said
2: at the very beginning that 86 percent of kids are walking away from their faith in their college years um, or it doesn't matter whether they go to college or not, it's 19 to 22. Um, the main reason is up until, say, they're 13, who owns their faith? Parents you do. do. Yeah. So if, if they, that never changes then when they go to college and have a Muslim roommate or have, you know, this or that, or a non-believing roommate or whatever. Or
3: anything that's fun to do instead.
2: You know, then they have no conviction about their faith. But so in the middle years, one of the things that you need to do um, should be at the top of your list of, of all the other hormonal and other things you're going through is you need to transition your faith to them. If they come out of the middle years with their faith being, Faith being their faith and not your faith.
3: That's a key point. The middle years, the, even at age ten on up, is when there needs to be a transitioning. The kids really need to start owning these responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And and and, Carla, you can speak to this more. But there's too many times parents are working on like seventy five thousand things with their child at a time.
2: Yeah, yeah. and that's the the other thing that we tell parents from the beginning is work on one thing at a time.
3: But if you have seventy-five thousand, what do you do?
2: You narrow it down to one. I would usually write down four. I usually make a list of four, five, and then um, Joey and I would discuss. He'd make a list, and we would discuss, you know, our common points, which we're usually right on with each other, and then we would decide which one was the most important, and we would. And sometimes it's the one that irritates us most. And sometimes it was just the one where we thought in general, he should learn to be kind. I mean, or whatever. And then we would narrow it down to one. And, but we still had that list. So you knew that you were going to get to those things. So it was easy to kind of, you know, remind for them or, you know, what, you know, whatever. But the one is the one you were seriously working on. That was
1: something and, you told us. And we did yeah. that. We had it on the fridge. It was really helpful. It's clarifying because you have a million things going on in the day. So you know, right. and so you know, you know, okay, no, this is priority. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And it does work.
2: And it does work because you know you're gonna get to the other ones. And sometimes it's a domino effect. Sometimes when you find victory in one, it just is like the dominoes all fall, and you're thinking, well, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, we're we yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So because the root is the same, the root issue is, is the same in lots of these behaviors. So when you conquer the root or pull it out forever, then um, you're, you're finding victory in that. I do want to tell you the end of the trash story. Um, Joey um, decided that Michael needed to carry the trash when he got in the
3: car, his car, and take it to the dump. Begged to take our old van instead. He said, please, can <laughs> no. I just take the
2: van? And we're like, uh, no,
3: your car. And we didn't have a problem for a long time. Oh, no,
2: he that. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a
1: logical consequence, which is another yeah um, another thing that you've talked about several times but maybe not called it out you're you're tying a logical consequence it's not some random grounding from stuff It's that's a logical thing to make it right he's making it right and something that will always be remembered <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> the logical this is they don't work unless it's in unless it's related to the offense yeah. so that's you know we didn't say like you lost the freedom of using your car that wasn't the point. The point was the trash. So yeah. putting it in the car, the thing that was most important to them in that moment in time, that's what, you know. So it's just thinking it through. If they're not hanging up the towels, then they lose the towels. Our girls both went through that. Where they, what am I supposed to do myself off with? I don't know. Well, I have to use a towel. Hmm? No, you, you. And I don't always say, how many times have I reminded you to pick up your towel? Too many to count? Well, I agree with that. Too many to count. So would <clears throat> you say that you know you're supposed to hang that towel up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since you chose not to, then you're choosing not to use the towel. Because I'm tired of wet, moldy towels on the floor When I, by the time I get in this bathroom, you know, or whatever. And um, so that, that worked for the girls. It was, it was one night of taking, oh, and they took their showers at night. Yeah. They put candles in there, but of course the mist blew them out right away. And yeah, it was a problem they wouldn't turn the light off so Joey said boy
3: well, I took the light the freedom of touching the a light candle. Away.
2: <laughs> a candle and a hand towel there you go <laughs> there you
3: go and I took yeah. batteries out of the flashlight I mean yeah. you just think ahead to help your kids mm-hmm. help, you know <laughs> <laughs> You're <laughing at> this. <laughs> I love
2: we know having been all the way through our parenting it's not harsh they yeah. they chose and I always use the words you chose when I say well since you chose not to do that then I guess you're telling me that you don't need clothes, you know, because I, they didn't put their laundry away. And you
3: take the clothes away and hide
2: them. <laughs> them <in> my <laughs> Even now I tell parents, you have way too many toys. Your kids have way too many toys. So I suggest that you cut them in half and put the rest away and then rotate them through every three months. That, that was that, another beautiful yep. tip
1: that we did because you said it. Great advice. That, just simplify your life,
3: parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. My
2: daughter exactly. said to me, you know, she has like a, a one-year-old and three-year-old, uh, three-year-old and three tomorrow or this week. And she said, um, she said, I still have too many toys. I said, well, cut them in half again. And she goes, but you know, they, they need to have these toys. I said, and why would be, they're not playing with them. Why would they need to have them? Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. So she come in half again. And then she said, if I tell you they still that they still don't pick up their toys, are you gonna tell me to come in half again? I said it sounds to me like you yeah, already know what you need to do. Fabulous, you guys. This has
0: been such great information. Yeah. So full of wisdom and practical tips. And again, I'm gonna point you to parentingmadepractical.com. Please go to that website. Yes.
3: Can I leave leave you everybody with uh, some encouraging scripture? Please, yes. Um Second Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. I think that includes parenting mm-hmm. through the knowledge that he has given us. And I um, also like uh, Ephesians 2.10. It says uh, we are, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I think one of the works that God has made is for every parent to raise their kids. It's not someone else's job. And God prepared beforehand that we should do that. And God made us the way he wanted us. And he made our kids the way he wanted to purify us, to perfect us so we can purify and perfect them. And so, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's a job that God gave us to do. And so when you step back and you look at it and say, okay, God gave me this responsibility that I need to do this. And I can do it because he's given me everything I need to do it as Second Peter 1, 3 says.
1: Amen. That's a great, that's a great thing to end yes, on right there. that's a good one. It's so good. good. One. Well, thanks again, you guys. We just loved having you on. Um.
3: I do have one other thing is that there are two parenting books of uh, what every, um, not, of um, Why Can't I Get My Kids to Behave and Taming the Lecture Bug and Getting Your Kids to Think. If you, if you want to order those two books, you can get another book. It's titled called What Every Child Should Know Along the Way for free. If you put in, when you order those two, put a special, put in the special instructions that you heard this podcast, as long as they want, as long as the books are available.
1: Well, you can find um, notes about our conversation and things they've mentioned on our website, just askyourmom.com. And you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and take five seconds
0: to rate and review the podcast and share us with your friends and family. And please, if you have topic suggestions, send them to us at just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on just Just ask ask your mom. (laughs)